So, as announced already uh, last night, now this morning we'll have uh, an, a session on additional uh, meditation instructions. And uh, what we'll do is uh, I'll try to uh, fit in at least the main aspects with regard to uh, mindfulness in uh, sitting meditation, mindfulness in walking meditation, mindfulness uh, during general activities. And and Satna, then, time permitting, also a few words about Satna, the interviews and attitudes. Probably we'll have to keep that for tonight for the demo dog. Now, the instructions are based, of course, on the Satipatthana Sutta and Satna related discourses, and Satna then, with in a, no, presented in a way as Satna given by the Venerable Mahasi Sayadaw of Satna Burma. In terms of Fatna mindfulness in the sitting meditation, the first Fatna aspect is you know, the sitting posture you know, that we choose. We can place our you know, legs, uh, uh, the text says, in the full lotus Fatna position. And however, not everyone uh, will be in a position to do so. And uh, if your uh, your leg muscles are not flexible uh, enough, uh, then do feel free uh, to assume the half lotus posture. Even if that posture isn't quite uh, comfortable, you could uh, consider sitting in the so-called Burmese posture, where you place uh, one foot in front of the other. Also, what you might do, especially for those who are relatively new to the meditation practice, one session you place, let's say, the right foot in front, the next session you alternate and you place the left foot in front. In this way, both legs get used equally. Now, even if the Burmese posture is too difficult to maintain, then you could consider sitting on a bench or for those with chronic back problems and some surgery, past surgery, etc. Feel free to sit on a chair, however, without leaning against the backrest of the chair. The main aspect with regard to the sitting posture is that you choose a posture that you can maintain comfortably over a longer period of time. What's the use to sit in full lotus trying to impress Satya, your fellow retreatants, and Satya, after yeah, 10 minutes you end up uh, with excruciating pains. Then, in terms of foot, you know, the way we place our hands, you can keep your place your hands on the knees or just in between, or place them in the lap as you wish. Anything is certainly fine here. And then. Um, the um, upper part of uh, the body, the trunk, uh, please keep this as upright as possible, ideally at a uh, 90 degree uh, angle to, uh, to the ground. And uh, 
An upright satna posture will help us as satna retreatants to um, well, not fall asleep. This will also help for digestion, proper respiration, and satna other related aspects. If you, on occasion, find that uh, your uh, sitting uh, position is, uh, or your posture is collapsing, then uh, first of all, uh, become mindful of this and uh, label that, observe it, know it, and uh, then in a mindful uh, way, uh, try to adjust your posture. Next, we during sitting meditation, normally you know, we keep our, our eyes closed. However, you know, should you, know, you be you know, suffering from you know, quite intense sadness, sleepiness, you know, then you know, consider to keep your eyes open for, uh, for a couple of minutes. Um, in terms of you know, the breathing, keep your breathing as sudden and natural as possible. Try not to force your breathing. Try not to slow. Try not to speed up your breathing when at times it's slow. And sudden, try not to um, uh, slow down your breathing when it's sudden very fast. And just let the breathing unfold naturally and simply be mindful of it as it happens. Then, when we sit in meditation with eyes closed, allowing the, uh, the breath to happen or unfold naturally, our uh, attention first and foremost goes you know, to the movements of Fatna, the abdomen. And Fatna, this being the primary object of observation according or in you know, the Mahasi tradition of Fatna Vipassana meditation. So as the abdomen will rise or inflate, we label this, mentally label this as rise or rising. And then we try to observe the rising process from its very beginning through its middle until the very end. And When the falling movement of the abdomen occurs, it's the same thing. At first, uh, we label this as uh, fall or falling, and then we carefully observe that falling process from its very beginning through the middle until the very end, and we try to know its nature. By knowing the nature of a rising movement, of a falling movement, is meant the following. Namely, when your rising movement occurs, there will surely be some, or you will surely notice the expansion of the abdomen, or you might notice a few details with regard to the movement itself. Is it a continuous movement? Is it discontinuous, segmented movement? And so forth. 
and Sutton, towards the end of Sutton, the rising movement, you might notice some tension or some stiffness, some tightness, hardness, etc. And so knowing those different qualities mm, uh, then uh, fulfills, or this is what is meant by knowing the nature of Sutton, your rising movement. The same thing goes Sutton, for you know, the phonic movement of the abdomen. So having labeled it Sutton, uh, observing it, one then comes to know uh, its qual, its characteristics, its certain uh, specific qualities, its certain uh, features, such as pretend possibly a release of tension, a release of stiffness, tightness, um, as well as a relaxation, and then towards the end, a contraction. And apart from what has been said, there are many more things that certainly could be observed and known with regard to the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. Right here at the very beginning, one point of clarification is really necessary, namely, please, when we say, you know, try to observe the rising and movement of the abdomen, it does not mean observing the entire uh, breath. So as suddenly the air enters you know, into you know, the nostrils, then goes down through the windpipe, you know, the, into the lungs, the lungs expand, and then eventually you know, the abdomen expands. The, if you were to do this, you know, the object of observation you know, would be just far too you know, big, and with that it's going to be difficult to really grasp the details of the object. Therefore, the Venerable Mahasi side of Burma recommended that the attention is primarily directed towards the rising movement of the abdomen and the falling movement of the abdomen alone, and not the entire process. What's up, what else? While you're observing the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, it certainly could very well be that some other more predominant object comes up elsewhere in the body or in the mind, in which case feel free to let go of the observation of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen and focus your attention on this next most predominant object. So let's take a pain. So stronger pain becomes apparent. You focus, you shift your attention away from you know, the observation of the rise and fall. You, know, you focus attention on the pain. You start labeling it as pain, and then you try to observe and know its nature. And by um, knowing, observing it, we can look at various. Uh, descriptive or various qualities, observational qualities, 
with regard to the pain, namely, what kind of pain is it? Secondly, what about certainly the intensity of the pain? Is it increasing? Is it decreasing? Is it staying you know, the same? Then, you know, how is certainly the t- pain behaving in terms of its location? Does it arise in one spot and certainly then disappear in the same spot? Or could it be that and suddenly the pain arises in one spot while you're observing it, it starts suddenly moving around or it spreads out over a larger area and suddenly then eventually it disappears in an entirely different spot. So, location aspect. And suddenly the fourth very basic observational category or aspect would be how is this pain behaving in terms of time? or in terms of duration. Is this a long-lived pain which lasts for the entire sitting session or is it a pain that lasts just for a couple of minutes or even less, just a few seconds or just a few moments? Different things are possible as you will see in the course of your retreat. Now, a pain is not necessarily a static object. Many changes can occur, and if that is the case, then you want to pay close attention to this and observe carefully, know what's going on, and during the interviews you may want to give a very precise description. Now, once a pain has you know, subsided, naturally subsided, or you know, you've observed it already for a long period of time and it's not changing you know, much and, and you're losing somewhat interest in it, in both of those cases, you know, let go of you know, your observation of the pain and then you know, return you know, your you know, focus back onto or towards the rising falling movement of the abdomen. Again, you label, you observe, you know what's going on with the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. And sooner or later, yet another more predominant object might come up and let us take a thought or the thinking as the next object. So thinking... Um, it comes up, presents itself in the mind. The thinking is quite intense. You let go of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen as a primary object. You focus your attention onto you know, the thinking process. You start labeling it as certain thinking or wondering as you like, um, or more specifically as planning or, or as remembering, etc. And suddenly then you try to carefully observe the thinking process as it happens. And really important, not getting caught up in the content of your thoughts. If you get caught up in the content, then very soon you will start identifying with the thinking and then the whole thing might last quite a while. Now, 
with the thinking process here too, trying to observe its certain qualities, its different features, and know those qualities in terms of you know, the thinking process. If naturally, in the course of you know, the mindful observation, the thinking then subsides, you know, letting go of the thinking, and resume the observation of the rising and falling movement of you know, the abdomen. Um, still, there may be one or two more points you know, with regard to the thinking. Experience shows you know, that uh, it's a good idea you know, to you know, become aware of you know, the thinking as quickly as possible, as soon as possible, and not you know, get uh, carried away you know, by you know, thinking for five minutes in a row or even you know, ten minutes certainly in the row. If you can't shut you know, the thinking really quickly, you know, then it has a lesser chance you know, to pick up some momentum and with this it's likely to you know, then disappear. Now, once the thinking has subsided, we uh, direct our attention back uh, onto the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. As usual, we label it, we observe it, we know it. Now, the venerable side of Benita, Biwams of Burma, has, based on his own uh, practice, very much recommended that certain retreatants observe in a in a method, methodology, no, in a, a systematic manner. Namely, the first uh, thing is um, which object is occurring. So the very occurrence of an object. Then, secondly, the labeling of that same object plus uh, the observation of it, which uh, will require uh, your inf input with the occurrence of an object that happens uh, all, all by itself. And uh, then you know, the knowing aspect also requires your input. So you have to, based on a proper observation, you will then get to know the various features or qualities of the object. So these three aspects of currents, the labeling plus the observation of an object as number two, and then as number three, knowing the nature of the respective object. And these certain three aspects you can apply to any predominant object that comes up in the sitting meditation, be it a physical object or a mental object. The same thing also goes for the walking meditation and your general activities. Even during the interviews, or actually prior to the to an interview, you could prepare your report in such a way that you clearly state which object is occurring. You then also clearly state how you, if and how you labeled the respective predominant object, and then how the observation itself went, and what you came to know about the object. Now, what else, just briefly, 
in terms of fundamental factors that are helpful for proper observation of predominant objects, we have mindfulness, we have aiming, vitaka and padi, and satna then sustained application of the mind, which are and effort satna virya. Now, in respect to mindfulness, this is a core quality, a vital quality that very much determines our practice, and certainly even more so the continuity of it. And please try to work on improving the continuity of your mindfulness from the very, very beginning of your retreat until the very end of it. Of course, at the beginning of a retreat, it is to be expected that the mindfulness is not going to be continuous all the time. There will be certain lapses or lapses of mindfulness here and there. But if you manage to catch those, become aware of those, and then you resume your mindfulness, then gradually over time it becomes more and more continuous. Now, when a new object has arisen, what we need to do is certainly we need to direct certainly the mind, the observing mind towards certainly the predominant object, and certainly that is direct or aim, and that certainly the work of the mental factor of vitaka aiming. The aiming needs to be accompanied by effort, virya in the Pali scripture language, and with effort, the observing mind gets propelled towards satna, the object of satna observation. And with, if the aiming is proper, and satna, the effort is also you know, properly balanced, you know, then the observing mind will reach satna, the object and will be in contact with the object and will be, figuratively speaking, be rubbing the object of observation and hence which are a sustained application of the mind then as a mental factor will become active. Based on these certain three qualities, then mindfulness can arise and gradually become sustained. Now, in the sitting practice, walking practice, as well as satna during our general activities, we do want to label the predominant objects just briefly with using simple terms in the English language or whatever language you call your mother. And then you try to label that object and 
then you'll have to find for yourselves just the right frequency of the labeling. If you label too often, you'll have a problem because you won't be able, you won't have much time left for the actual observation. If you label too little, then the thinking might certainly come in. And so you want certain to find just the right certain frequency here. In the case of a pain, you know, that is somewhat certain at long lasting. You label it for the first time, you try to observe it, you try to know its nature, the pain persists, again you label it as pain, again you observe it, you try to know its nature. And certainly this certainly then over a longer period of time. Uh, the same thing uh, goes for other uh, longer-lasting uh, uh, objects. Among the three aspects mentioned uh, earlier on, namely the occurrence of an object, the labeling plus the observation, and certainly uh, knowing the nature of an object, the uh, labeling is... Uh, if on occasion you miss to label an object, then that is nothing detrimental. It happens. The main thing is that you clearly observe the object and then based on the observation, that certain intuitive knowledge arises. So do keep in mind you know, the labeling itself is just a concept, it's uh, uh, just a crutch you know, that helps the mind you know, to be you know, with the object and helps the mind you know, to be clear which object it is you know, that one is currently you know, observing. Now, maybe this much with regard to that mindfulness in the sitting meditation, similar aspects, as mentioned, under mindfulness and sitting meditation also apply to the walking meditation. So here too, we want to label, carefully observe, and know the nature of the predominant sensations that come up. Now, the walking meditation, mindful walking meditation, is as important as certain mindful sitting meditation. And certain this I'm saying especially because on occasion there are people who don't have much regard for the walking meditation and kind of neglect it. So do, especially during the first couple of days, try to spend an somewhat equal amount of time on your sitting meditation and walking meditation. So if you sit you know, for you know, one hour, then you know, also try to walk for one hour. And then when we do you know, the walking meditation, this is uh, this has very little to do with ordinary walking down a, uh, a stream you know, as part of a, uh, a shopping uh, trip. But here, when we do mindful walking meditation, you know, the goal is not to get certain to any particular place, but the goal is more you know, to be mindful of what is actually happening during the walking meditation itself. 
Now, the venerable Nesido, uh, venerable Mahasi Saido of Burma has uh, proposed to do the walking meditation in three phases or three forms. In the first form, as Satna the right leg moves, we label this as right step, and then we focus our attention on the most predominant sensation in the leg, wherever this Satna might be, and Satna we try to know the nature of that particular sensation. The same thing goes uh, when the left leg moves, we briefly label this as left stem, and certainly uh, once again you know, we focus our attention on the most predominant sensation that occurs uh, anywhere in the left uh, leg, including uh, the foot. Now, you'll the Venerable Sada encouraged retreatants to do this for about a third of the entire walking session. And certainly this first form of walking, mindful walking meditation is somewhat slower than ordinary walking meditation. And then during the second third of a walking session, we deliberately slow down the speed of the walking and now divide one step into two parts, namely the lifting process, the lifting of the foot, and then the lowering and placing of the foot. So at the very beginning of the lifting process, we briefly label as lifting or simply just lift, and then we focus our attention this time on the most predominant sensation in the foot itself and no longer anywhere within the leg. So the objective field is certainly becoming smaller in area. And then we try to carefully observe that predominant sensation and to know its nature. Then once the foot has been lifted to some extent, and please, there's no need to lift the foot an awful lot off the ground, no need to walk around like a stork. If you lift your foot just as much as is needed to then comfortably place it again, that's that's fine and that's good enough. So, at the very top, at the height of your lifting process, then the lowering will set in. And at that point, you label this as sudden lowering, and then you carefully observe the lowering process, including the very moment where uh, your uh, heel, uh, the heel of uh, the foot, uh, first uh, touches uh, the ground. Or for some, uh, some uh, like to place uh, the toes first, that's fine. Or uh, some place the entire foot simultaneously on the ground, that's fine too. Anyway, uh, you like to place your foot on the ground. But do be really aware of the different sensations that occur as your foot 
make certain first contact with the ground. What do you experience there? Roughness or smoothness, softness or hardness, heat or cold or warmth, and certain, or is there maybe some pressure there? Is the pressure increasing? Is it decreasing? Etc. Etc. So there's a lot to be you know, observed and uh, known. Then. So let's say uh, now the heel touches the ground first, and so now there's some you know, cool sensation. Also, some you know, there's the hardness of the foot, you know, the wood, and so you know, then you know, gradually, as you're placing the foot you know, more and more on the ground, you might notice you know, some pressure arising in you know, the heel of foot, you know, the foot, and then. Um, gradually, as you place uh, no, the foot on the ground, the, no, the foot, no, no, there may be a, a noticeable relaxation of uh, no, the muscles. So be mindful of that. And, and certainly then you know, there are other you know, as let me see and certainly then what kind of sensations do you notice in the ball of the foot what kind of sensations you know, do you possibly notice in the toes so whatever you know, predominant sensation you know, comes up do pay closest attention to it so that's certain or that much you know, for you know, the second form of walking meditation. The third is certain, somewhat similar. You divide one step into three parts, namely the lifting of the foot, then the forward certain movement, so advancing you know, the foot, and certain, you know, followed by the lowering and placing of the foot. The lifting of the foot we've described just now, as well as the lowering process. So the only new thing is really the forward movement. So once you've lifted your foot, then at the very beginning of the forward movement, you briefly label this as gliding or advancing. And then carefully pay attention to this forward movement and try to observe and know the sensations that are specific to that forward movement. And so what you notice, first of all, in terms of the balance, is it easy for you you know, to keep the balance or uh, is this all pretty new to you and at this certain slow speed uh, you notice certain that you lose easily uh, losing your balance whatever it might be just be mindful of it and so uh, then what about the movement itself? Is it a continuous movement or a discontinuous movement? What about the sensations you know, that occurred you know, during that uh, forward movement? Is certain? Uh, do you notice, uh, let's say, you know, the coolness of uh, uh, the uh, uh, the outside certain uh, temperature, or you know, do you possibly notice uh, a breeze touching you know, your your foot, or you know, maybe some numbness in the foot itself, or some pulsing sensation? vibrations etc etc there's certainly a lot that uh, might be uh, discovered there now the walk the third type or third form of walking meditation is done even slower you know, than uh, the second form and so, you know, there is a maxim for you know, the mindful walking meditation the slower you go the the more progress there will be in your practice so it's not like uh, in uh, the world of big business where it's sudden always certain uh, you're always rushing always on the go always moving around you can 
await to get to your destination. So here, we take all of our time and give every single detail full attention. And we're trying to know what's actually happening from moment to moment to moment to moment. Okay. So, now, there's still a few more uh, aspects, uh, namely, in terms of your posture, when you start out with your walking meditation, please keep your body upright. And then, secondly, keep the Buddha very much uh, uh, proposes or suggests that we practice Indriya Samvara Sila, which is restraint of the senses, which includes not only restraint of the eyes and the ears, but also of the body itself, including uh, our arms and hands. So when we do the walking meditation, our arms are not just wildly flying around, flapping, flapping around. But we keep those in front of the body or behind the back, as you as you like. And you will see that that in itself already will bring about some more composure. And what else? When you do the walking meditation and especially very slowly, there is no need to, with your head, you know, to bend over and check whether your feet are still there or not. <laughs> so rest assured, they most likely will be there. And so, so if you keep doing that over a longer period of time, you'll end up with a really stiff neck and that's not going to help your practice. And with that, you'll just have another object certainly to observe. Now, so that's that. And then, when you choose a path for the walking meditation, please try to be sensitive to the fact that retreatants oftentimes have a sense of possession of the so-called their or my walking path and dare not crisscross with another person's walking path. Then may lead to some social social friction. And then and then you will come and tell me, oh, oh this and that happened, and then I'll have to <laughs> do some peace building. <laughs> um, so, and so, the forest refuge is, is a, well, it's a big meditation center. There's lots of uh, space around, and so, there are designated walking areas. So find a spot where you can peacefully do your walking meditation. And then, uh, what's, uh, what else? In terms of uh, the length of your uh, walking meditation, there's no need uh, to just aimlessly uh, roam around, but uh, just uh, choose a path that is maybe five meters uh, long, uh, at the most uh, 10 meters, and then mindfully you walk up and down uh, that certain path. Important for you know, the 
walking meditation as well as for mindfulness in general activities is that we do this slowly and with composure and, as indicated already, restraining our senses. The forest refuge is a beautifully designed meditation center surrounded by very beautiful, beautiful landscape and in a forest, so there there would be theoretically many fascinating visual objects to look at, to study, etc. But certainly we do not want to get lost in these certain things. If we do, then keep our eyes unguarded, and we do look around here and there, then it will create agitation in the mind, and with that it's going to be difficult to observe what's actually happening. Now, just briefly, mindfulness of or during general activities covers all other activities apart from the formal sitting meditation and apart from the formal walking meditation. And it starts with the very process of waking up early in the morning, the process of sitting up in bed, getting out of bed, and going to mindfully going to the bathroom, opening and closing doors, and um, the process of, uh, uh, let's say, taking a shower, getting dressed, uh, etc. There's so many activities that we perform in the course of uh, a day. The meals are included, breakfast, lunch, the juice in the late afternoon, or at the beginning, at the end of a sitting session, you might consider to bow down to the Buddha statue in front of us. Then you could be, you could be, or you could do that in a really mindful manner, being fully aware of all the different sensations that now occur. Maybe another, just one aspect picked out of many would be the aspect of picking up, let's say, your favorite coffee mug. And also, you you don't just uh, you know, reach for it and grab it, and uh, then bring it to your uh, mouth and uh, um, and then drink uh, the coffee. But that certain uh, process itself of you know, reaching for the coffee mug and certain uh, then uh, touching it, holding it, and certain uh, slowly, mindfully uh, bringing and uh, bringing it to you know, the mouth, and then the mug touching you know, the lips, etc. All of this you know, can be turned turned into an exercise of mindfulness, and there's much to be discovered there. Time permitting, I could, one of these days, give a Dhamma talk on mindfulness in general activities, and then we could go into further details. Now, just briefly, the yogi 
um, teaching teaching the yogi jobs will come up at nine o'clock, so I don't want you to be late for for that. We will have regular interviews starting tomorrow morning, so Saturday. And the plan is posted already on the bulletin board. Now, the interviews, regular interviews, are an integrated part and parcel of Vipassana meditation in the Mahasi tradition. And the interviews play a really important role to guide Satna retreat and Satna in their practice. With this almost daily exchange between a retreat and Satna, the teacher, this allows for both to find just the right a way of uh, right way to uh, proceed. Now there's certain aspects to be considered certainly here your uh, interview actually starts already with a really good focused sitting session and a really focused walking session. And during which you will observe many different objects and you will come to know their nature. And what you've observed and known, well, that you then try to relate during the interview. For those of you who have a poor memory, you might certainly want to consider right after, and please notice I'm saying after, after a formal sitting session or formal walking session, you could write down your experiences, just a few words that will help you to remember what actually happened. And and then when you come, when you turn for the interview comes up, please, this too is an exercise in mindfulness. Mindfully, you want to come into the interview room. Mindfully, you want to sit down and then get ready for the interview. And then when you give your report, in general, try to, as the Venerable Sadhu Pandita has certainly suggested in the past, try to apply the three standards from the scientific world to your reporting, namely accuracy being one, brevity being the second one, and precision being the third. Now, since Satna, this is a full you know, retreat, and Satna time is precious, you know, so you don't want to you know, just go on and on and on and on you know, with uh, you know, your report. You want to you know, you know, uh, you know, report to you know, the point. Then, when giving your report, please start with a presentation or a description of your best formal sitting session. And here, please start with a description of the rising, falling movement of the abdomen and adhering, as suggested earlier on, to those certain three aspects that the Venerable Sainte Upandita has stressed many times, namely 
namely the occurrence of an object, the labeling and certain observation of it as a second aspect, and certainly then knowing the nature of the respective object. And Sapna, once you've described the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, then you proceed to, in a chronological manner, to describe the next most predominant object that occurs, or pain, or the thinking, or maybe some heat that occurred somewhere in the body, and then how, whether you labeled it or not, whether you carefully observed it, if so, what Satna did you find out? When you give your report, please use simple words in the English language and not some complicated polytechnical terms. Also, the attitude with which you give your report is important. There is no need to impress your teacher or to compete with fellow retreatants. So simply do not, please do not report from imagination in order to please somebody, but rather report what is actually going on. If you've had a difficult day of practice or a difficult sitting session, well, then just uh, report what suddenly happened. The past practice is not always certain smooth sailing. On occasion, there will be some roughness spots there. Occasionally, it gets a bit choppy. And when that's the case, well, we want to just objectively report what what happened. What what else? Also. To give you an example, a retreatant uh, might come into you know, the interview, then start uh, the report by saying, I think that my mindfulness was superb, concentration was uh, uh, never, strong, never as strong as this, and my intuitive wisdom is just uh, exceptional. <laughs> so, <laughs> With a, re- with a statement like this, that you've, that you've given, you've provided a great self-evaluation of your practice, but that's maybe not quite what is needed. So keep all the evaluation part aside and simply report what actually happened and as for the rest, the teacher will do the evaluation part and then please do in terms of time, you know, time management. So there will be ten minutes uh, for uh, for a person, and out of you know, those ten minutes, you will get most of the time. But do on occasion give me a few seconds for a question here and there, <laughs> and especially towards the end. Do give me a, let's say at least a minute or two to give you some advice. Some retreatants go on ramp 
rambling and rambling and rambling and certain uh, 10 minutes turn into 15 minutes or even into 20 minutes and then you've got a long line of other yogis who will have to wait each an additional 20 minutes now uh, when you come you know, to you know, the interview, you know, there's no need to you know, get nervous. You know, I'm here to you know, support you in your you know, meditation practice, and so, you know, so we will uh, nicely you know, work you know, work to, you know, together. The Venerable Upandita has certainly you know, um, pointed you know, very rightly you know, pointed out that certain you know, the interviews, regular interviews, you know, performance a certain function, namely they have a tendency to galvanize a yogi's practice. If you know your next uh, interview is uh, just around the corner, so tomorrow morning, then you will have to work a bit harder. You will have to observe very carefully what's actually going on in your practice to give a proper report the next time. Now, time is racing, maybe this much. Attitudes and a few other you know, points will leave that Satna for you know, the Dhamma talk you know, tonight. Um, to conclude, the, may you, you know, take you know, the instructions, you know, basic uh, meditational instructions, may you take them to heart, may you apply them conscientiously to you know, your own you know, practice, not just once, but you know, throughout you know, the entire you know, retreat. And you know, then um, may your retreat you know, be an uh, extremely fruitful you know, retreat in terms of you know, the unfolding of intuitive wisdom. And this is it for now. Some of you will have to go to, you know, for the yogi job training. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.